everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. Well, friends, you're in for a special treat today. A listener of the Coming Out Chronicles wrote to me with her coming out story, and I loved it, and I wanted to share it with you. There are so many things in her story that feel like such parallels to me and my own story. I thought it would be really cool to read her story and kind of create a conversation with myself and my own story and how our stories are so similar. It's crazy. Um, Yeah, I'm just kind of play off it. So I thought in order to do that, I would have two voices. And so one is the regular narration voice. Like it sounds like this. And that's where I'm going to read her story. And then when I do my interjections of Nancy, myself, it will sound like this. Can you hear the difference? So without further ado, here is a beautiful coming out story for you. I was 16 when I looked myself in the mirror in our little house in rural southern Manitoba and said out loud, I'm gay. So, I became a Christian. (laughs) Well, I became an evangelical Christian. I went to the United Church service from 10 to 11 before that, and then ran across the street to be with all my friends at the Baptist Church service from 11 to 12. The Jesus there did miracles. He came into your heart, transformed you, made you like him. I thought, okay, if anyone can make me straight, it's going to be the Baptist Jesus. (laughs) Everything inside of me did not want to be gay. I don't think my mom or dad would have cared, but I cared. I didn't want to lose any friends. I didn't want to be the weirdo at school. I didn't want to be different. But phew, now that I knew Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I was going to be okay. I loved that church, and they loved me. I started reading the Bible for the first time, and I underlined the whole book while reading ten chapters at a time every night before I nodded off to sleep. I fell in love with the characters and was in awe of their struggles, their redemptive stories, their miracles, and their healings. And I fell in love with Jesus Those promising red words became the hope of my dreams. In that church, I became president of the youth group, helped organize events, and I went on a missions trip to an inner city of Chicago and felt like I had all the power in the world to change and transform anyone but myself. During my grade 12 year, my youth pastor said, you should be a youth pastor. 
So off I went to Bible school and graduated with my BA in youth leadership and development. Whoa, this is so crazy. Already there's so many parallels. I also was student body president and a big leader in my youth group and went off to Bible school to become a youth pastor. Wow, so similar. I lived in a dorm with 16 women. My deep secret was confirmed in the nighttime rituals of long, drawn-out hugs and a lot of sleepovers and cuddles. I kept my cool as best I could. The day after I graduated, I moved out to BC to be a youth pastor. It was awful. I felt like such a hypocrite in this leadership position. The church had no one my age, and I became deeply depressed. Are you kidding me? This is my life. Like, what? (laughs) I totally did the same thing. I graduated, and I went out to BC to be a youth pastor on the Sunshine Coast. And there was my kids that I could hang out with or their moms. There was hardly anyone my age. Um... I I did suffer from some seasonal affective disorder, but there was a few shining lights in that time. The the moms were awesome to hang out with. Some of them took me mountain biking and the trails and crabbing on the ocean. Um, But there was also this amazing clown couple. They were literally professional clowns. And they were a lesbian couple. And they were so amazing. Like, they let me come to the, some of their activities where they would do shadow jams. And we had an overhead projector where we would put puppet shows up and play music. And it was in that moment where I, I saw this really beautiful connection that they had. And it was some of my first lesbian friends. And I, I was like, huh, there's something here. Like, this is really beautiful. Everything I've been taught so far had said it was wrong and bad and you'll have a terrible life if you do this, but they had a really beautiful life, so it really got me thinking. After just over a year, I started a new job working in a Christian high school where I didn't have to be in a leadership position. My new job was about coming alongside students needing help in the classroom. I could talk about God when necessary and no longer felt the pressure of convincing kids to come to church so I could tell them how they should live when I was living with such a deep, dark secret. Right before my 25th birthday, the pressure inside myself was so intense it felt like a heavy brick pressing into my chest every day. Finally, late one night, I called up my neighbor who had become like a spiritual mother. My mom had passed away during my second year of Bible school. I took her for a drive, and at the top of a mountain, and with tears of deep shame, I told her I was gay. She told me she loved me and would pay for counseling. This was the beginning of a three-year journey of conversion therapy. I still wanted so badly to be straight. I had such deep shame and a real fear that I would lose all my community out here in BC. Going back to Manitoba would mean failure. I told the counselor whatever she needed to hear so that she could direct me in how to live my cross-to-bear life. 
During those years, I also participated in the Living Waters program through Desert Streams Ministry, an intense weekly group therapy for individuals with what they referred to as sexual and relational brokenness. Out of desperation, I also attended the Love One Out conference with Focus on the Family, hosted by Anne Hash's mum. She proclaimed that if her daughter could date Ellen and turn straight, we all have hope. Yep, me too. I also went to Living Waters. This is getting eerie now. Um, Yeah, I had heard from a few friends that this program could help you if you had same-sex attraction. Um, And so I started to, like, wonder if maybe this was a place where I could start to look at that and get to the root of it. And it was a lot of prayer and um, basically just trying to... It it was a, a form of conversion therapy, trying to change you from being how you were into... A good Christian and it didn't really work. After raking through my full family history and what seemed like opening every dark closet, I came away with what I felt like permission to finally say, I'm gay. Well, same sex attracted. I would never use the word gay. And God still loved me as long as I didn't act on it. We all had our crafts to bear, and being gay was often described as being no different than an addict. This was my God-doesn't-give-us-more-than-we-can-handle way of life. By the time my 30s hit, I had developed intense fear and anxiety around people finding out and then losing everything. My job, my community, and even my housing since I was renting from people in my church. I had come out to a few more people while I was attending therapy, and those families, with whom I was once close and had been invited over for dinner regularly, dropped me quickly from their lives. The invitations stopped, the connections ended, some didn't want me around their kids. For some, it was just too awkward and uncomfortable. Some female friends were concerned I would or had fallen in love with them. I became hyper aware of others' behavior and feelings when they were with me. I became very afraid and started having evening panic episodes. I experienced this crushing panic for about three years. During the day I was fine, faking my life the best I was able I could go about my job and quickly run to a store after work, but as soon as I came home, from about seven onwards, I would be struck with intense nausea and would eventually be sick to my stomach. My legs would feel like they had bugs crawling inside, and the only resolution was to pace up and down my basement suite hallway for hours before I would literally fall into my bed from exhaustion. I stopped going to social events or even out with friends or for dinner. I stopped going to church. If I was anywhere, I had to be close to the exit and sit on an outside chair. My best friend had bought us front row tickets to... So you think you can dance, Canada? I think that's what that acronym stands for. 
I was sick with anxiety the whole drive into Vancouver. From the car to the stadium, I was crying, and she had to hold my hand and literally drag me in. The crippling fear had completely taken over and was robbing me of any joy in my life. No one knew of my anxiety except close friends. I knew people wouldn't understand. By just looking at me, you would have had no clue what I was struggling with. I'm generally chipper and present and easygoing. And besides, I thought no one would believe me. People would think it's silly or that I needed to get over it or tell me, It's not that bad. Or worse, they might say that the fear was irrational and not true. A co-worker's husband was a psychologist, and I contacted him to get help. He explained the neurology around what had happened in my brain from so many anxiety episodes. Understanding the brain function released some of the shame and the self-blame I was carrying. He also reminded me that God promises peace to his children and he walked me through my fears. I decided to start being true to myself in the hopes that peace would come, and medication helped with some of the neurological resetting that needed to take place. I had a lot of work to do on myself, dealing with my anxiety. Did you know one of the best ways to heal is through the physical act of creating something new? So I built a tiny house. (laughs) No. You've got to be kidding me. Is this my twin that got separated at birth or something? This is so crazy. I also built a tiny house. And I also would say that it was part of my starting to feel empowered and starting to make choices for myself that helped me eventually come to own my truth about my sexuality. This is amazing. So many people thought I was crazy. Why? I don't think that's a good idea. There's no equity in a tiny house. Why not just buy a travel trailer? You can't do it. Isn't that a waste of money? You can't be serious. But I had a deep desire to build, and I had full affirmation that the Creator put that desire there. I had to trust in that vision. It burned inside me that this is what I needed to do. I needed to build my own house. The creator was calling their creation to create. So I started to build, and I started to come out. And people came to help, and I came out. And more people came to help, and I kept building, and I kept coming out. And it was healing and community building and meditative. And did I mention healing? And no one left. In fact, people stayed. And people said they loved me. And it was okay to feel awkward and uncomfortable and struggle through and fully come to know. All this was coming true because I was honoring the voice within. I also learned to be kind to people When I told them, I always led with this. It has taken me years for me to reconcile my faith and sexuality, and I still am. I offer the same grace to you. That posture gave me the freedom to not fear their rejection. I had finally come to a peace with God about being gay. 
the reaction slash response of others, I was at peace with it. That was on them. Now it was their turn to wrestle and for them to come out as an ally or not as they were led. I've learned that allies have a journey too. Building my own house was restorative. After work and on weekends, I would go and build and it took me two years. I was forced to focus on only one step at a time. One nail and board would methodically come into purpose to create something bigger than myself. It was hard work. It was time-consuming. I watched 18 videos on YouTube on how to install windows. I sanded each board of rough-cut cypress. I learned how to use new tools. But most importantly, it forced me to ask for help. I had to call friends to help install the roof. I'm scared of heights. Help with lifting the windows into the loft only to to discover that I bought the wrong type of window and we had to take it out and go buy a different one and they stayed to help install the new one. I had friends over with their kids to help paint the siding panels. I had to ask if anyone had a random piece of insulation as I was one sheet short and didn't want to have to buy a whole new bundle. I asked to use their trucks and trailers to go pick up materials. Friends were patient and taught me how to use a terrifyingly old table saw. My arm was incredibly sore from nailing each shingle and most of the ceiling boards by hand. So another friend lent me their air nail gun, assured me I would not shoot my eye out, and calmly showed me how to use it. Others surrounded me by donating to my kitchen fund as a gift, and then came and helped me build it. Finishing my tiny house was a huge accomplishment. Moving into my own house created a feeling of deep connection in recognizing my ability to not just do hard things, but that I had a whole community that had my back. But I also knew that this was a tiny house, a house built for one, Underlying the accomplishment was a sadness. Was I to live alone forever? What do I do with this deep desire to have a life partner? Did the creator place that desire there? Was I to honor or ignore that desire? What if I trusted my desire to start finding a life partner, the same as I trusted my desire to start building? What if I could do another hard thing? What if people showed up and supported me the same way, even if they didn't understand or agree with the plan? And so, at 37, after an over 20-year journey of coming out, I decided to lean into the deep desire I had to find a life partner. I'm thankful to be surrounded by a community of friends where I can feel safe, where we can not only deconstruct bad theology, but also rebuild those beliefs. They walked me through the beginning and end of my first relationship, and even now they let me share the ups and downs of online dating during COVID. I'm also eternally thankful for the many LGBTQ plus people of faith that I've met along this journey. They have modeled the Creator's blessings, the beauty and the belief that love always wins. Yeah. 
may it be so. That was incredible. I'm so thankful that you shared your story with us. And as I listened, I I loved all the parallels that we had, but I also really echo with that desire for a partner. And I remember when I was in that place, I thought, where do you find the thoughtful lesbians? Because, yeah, online dating felt just as uninspiring as dating men when I switched to starting to look for women on there. And eventually I found my wife at church, which not everyone lives in a large enough city for there to be a queer church, I don't think. And so it's got me thinking that I've met so many of you incredible women over the past while while I've been doing this work that are looking for a thoughtful partner. And so I would like to use this platform as a way to gather you together. So if you're listening and you think, I want to meet some thoughtful lesbians or queer people, um, then shoot me a message. Let me know. Let's have a little get-together where, you know, I could curate some questions that could get people talking and thinking and helping you to see each other in a new light or in a first light because you may not have ever met each other before. Um, but I, I love creating community. And whether or not it becomes a dating relationship, you could create a really beautiful friendship. And who wouldn't love to find some more thoughtful people to have in their life? So I'm excited about this. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's worth a try. So if there's enough of you that reach out to me that are interested in connecting, we'll choose a time and make a little Zoom meeting for people to connect and get to know each other. This episode of the Coming Out Chronicles was brought to you by Centered Life Coaching. We help you know yourself, to free yourself, and be yourself, so you can live the fullest expression of who you really are. Stay tuned, there's more to come in this episode. We are coming right off of the shift retreat, and I'm still flying high from all the excitement of what happened on that weekend. It was incredible to see the ways that a simple Zoom retreat could be powerful. Like, so so many people were skeptical of, like, ugh, I don't want to do an online thing. It's not going to be the same as doing it in person. And sure, it's not the same, but it's really beautiful. And in some ways, even more beautiful, maybe, because I had people join me from all over that probably wouldn't have necessarily flown into Calgary to do this with me. But now that they've experienced it, they they would like to. <laughs> some of them have already talked about wanting to come and have personalized retreats with me, which is another offering that I have. Um, so if you'd like to do that, you can totally fly in and do that, or we could do a Zoom personalized retreat. 
We can create that for you. But some of the shifts that I saw happen on the weekend were people really leaning into trusting themselves and and seeing behind the veil of what they had not been seeing about themselves before. One woman had had a similar struggle for about 40 years and eventually saw this new truth about herself on the weekend. And it was just such an honor to bear witness to that and to have held space for her to be able to notice that about herself and get this new freedom that is impacting so many different areas of her life even now. And another one of my favorite moments was when each of them went around and talked about the mug that I had made and sent to them. And they they each shared about what that mug meant to them or how it represented them and how they felt really seen and known by that action. And it was personally really satisfying for me because I, at different times, have separated my two businesses of pottery on one side and life coaching on the other. But both of them, I I came up with this name, Centered, for the purpose of bringing those both together. And this retreat felt like a time where I really brought those all together and made it into a really special offering of all these different aspects of who I am. And I hope that that really inspired the people at the retreat too, to be able to see how they each have amazing gifts to share with the world. And I have spent too many years keeping them hidden. And as I step out and offer them, I've seen that it does inspire them also to step out and share their gifts. Another reflection I have from the weekend is... I was a bit nervous because 80% of those coming were queer folks. And I knew that there was at least one, maybe two people that weren't necessarily overtly queer. And I didn't want them to feel left out or like they didn't belong or that it wasn't relevant for them. Um, But then this amazing twist of events, this unveiling of, yeah, I need to be here because I'm on the verge of coming out for myself. And another was sharing that her, her daughter had just come out to her the week before. And so like how perfect for her to be there with us hearing our stories and, um, understanding how she can support her daughter in her coming out process. And so I love how serendipitous it all is. And every, every person was meant to be there and it, it created such a beautiful presence for each of them to be there, be all in and be ready to make shifts in their life. And some of them have had to go back and make some really big shifts at home, but they're doing it and I'm so proud of them and I'm here now to offer that support afterwards too and so for you if you're 
feeling this and knowing that maybe you've already come out, but maybe there's a new layer that you're ready to come out with and you feel a bit shaky about it and you wish you had some support. Know that I am here for you. That's what I love doing is helping people get clear on on what is their deep truth and how can they share that with the world in an empowered way, in a, in a way that's uniquely them and not forced from anywhere else, but from your deep, deep truth. So I hope that you've had some great moments here with me today and my guest. That was a really fun episode to do, to, to read her story and share it with you. And if you heard her story and you want to connect, let me know. We can make some pen pal action happen. Or if you'd like to be on that Zoom call where different queer folks are meeting up to get to know each other better. You're a pretty amazing community, so I'd love to connect you with each other. I'm sending you all my love. May you live an out and empowered life. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.